It's the Trade Deadline Roundup episode, and we have so much to cover. On today's show, we go over almost every single Major League trade that occurred this week with baseball and fantasy baseball analysis with strategy tidbits along the way. You won't want to miss this episode as Steve Gardner of USA Today joins us next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast, presented by Fangraphs. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruben Guy. How are you, Ruben? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. What a busy week for baseball. Trades galore. Uh, we just got to jump right in. Uh, what, what do you think of the trade deadline, Ruben? Were you, uh, to me, this, this wasn't, the, it wasn't the most intense one ever. Um, what, what do you think? I think it was more active than people give it credit for. There are some big names that changed places, and because of that, I think it's one of the more um, imp- impacting trade deadlines. And you're not going to feel it just this year, but for many years to come. Well, certainly we'll be talking about Juan Soto for a long time. Uh, and to help us today, we've got a fantastic guest. You know him from USA Today. Welcome Steve Gardner to the show. How are you, Steve? I'm doing great, Ariel. How are you guys? Fantastic. Well. Fantastic. I think I've finally recovered from uh, from all the intense uh, trading and wheeling and dealing that was going on. Um, and uh, yeah, it's now it's time to sit back and uh, take stock of it, take a deep breath and and see what we have going forward. Yeah. Even just an hour after the trade deadline, you're still wrapping your head around uh, what has changed. But that's what we are doing today for you guys. Uh, we're going to put a little bit of fantasy spin, talk a little bit of real life baseball and dissect all of the trades that go on, how it can help you. And, uh, you know, we usually do a strategy section to start, but I think we're going to we're going to break up and do the strategy in pieces amongst uh, what we find uh, during during the show with uh, each type of player that can uh, be traded and, you know, what's the consequence and how to play it. So uh, let's just dive right in, I think. Um, Closers, relievers. Um, There were a bunch of swaps. There were a bunch of situations where maybe players change values in a good way, bad way, a surprising way. Um, You know, let's start with you, Steve. I was very surprised Rysel Iglesias was traded. I mean, they signed him to a long-term contract. They have Kenley Jansen already. Were you surprised at that? A little bit. And um, I mean, the the Angels aren't going anywhere this year. But um, as you said, to have, you know, uh, uh, the commitment that they made to Iglesias not very long ago um, to go ahead and say, well, that's uh, that's enough. Uh, Let's let's deal them away. I think the Angels have a lot more that needs to be done to get that franchise back on track. But in terms of Atlanta, um, it's a good move for them, I feel, because Kenley Jansen, as as solid as he's been this year, has had you know those heart problems come up from time to time, and you just need to. I, I I think they felt like the bullpen is one of the things that carried them to a World Series title last year, and they needed to have it as strong as it could be. And Iglesias does give them that. So uh, for Atlanta, I think it was a, it was a strong move for sure that and Iglesias you know can come in and close if need be i don't i don't think they want jansen to go you know back to back days or or certainly not 3 days in a row so iglesias gives them that other option yeah you said it i think the braves they have to first get to the postseason and to be honest i think it's not just getting there it's it's winning the division i think this year especially with the padres now in the mix 
Mm-hmm. Uh, winning the NL East is a big thing in that you'll get a buy and don't have to face some of the other wild card teams. And it's just it it's just a great safety net. Maybe we we know something. Maybe they know something about Kenley Jansen that we don't know in terms of injury status. But he doesn't pitch it on back to back days, as you say. Uh, and you know they traded away Will Smith so to get to get Odorizzi, so they filled the hole right back in the bullpen with him. Uh, I, I thought very, very good pickup for the Braves. Uh, Ruvain, in terms of fantasy, how do you see the uh, saves shaking out on the team the rest of the season? I think it's probably going to be 70-30. I think Jansen will still get the majority, but because the Braves are a good team, there's still going to be a lot of save opportunities. And Steve, just like you said, they're going to have a lot of opportunities, and Kenley Jansen is he's 34 Rescue Glazers is 32. So both of them are not the youngest pitchers out there, but they do need to have the day off occasionally. And especially, Aro, you mentioned Will Smith getting traded. That's a big reason why they went after a big a big piece, because they wanted another quote-unquote closer in their bullpen. Remember, Will Smith was their closer a couple of years ago, so this is just replacing one of those spots. The thing is, Rafael Iglesias... I don't. He's still going to have value in fantasy for ERA, for for WHIP, for strikeouts. If you're in a holds league, that's great, I guess. But otherwise, for saves, um, you're going to lose a big chunk, and you may want to look on the waiver wire for a replacement for that. Steve, are you dropping Rysel Iglesias in ten team, twelve team, fifteen team mixed leagues? I mean, I I think in fifteen team it's deep enough that you'll use him for the ratios and for the occasional save. Are, are you dropping him in any type of format? I'm thinking seriously about it um, because, you know, one of the things that Iglesias has been really hurt by opponents barreling the ball. I think his barrel rate is right under 15%. Um, and that's like the highest of just about anybody in Major League Baseball. So those when you get into those pressure situations um, and you give up those home runs, you can lose confidence of the manager really quickly. So while, yes, he, he has a long track record of being very good, um, Kenley Jansen, I think, is still the man. I think he'll get maybe 80% of the save opportunities there. And the rest, you know, it won't go all to Iglesias. A.J. Minter is probably going to get some. Um, Colin McHugh could get some. Tyler Matzik could get some. You know, we, we, we know the Braves like to, to mix and match. And uh, so, yeah, I think Iglesias is there for the ability to go maybe more than one inning if needed or something like that. But uh, in terms of getting saves, I think this is this is Kenley Jansen's team. And the one thing one thing you have to think about also is Iglesias has said in the past that he wants to close. He doesn't like pitching the eighth inning. He's only pitched in the eighth inning twice this year, and one of those times he gave up a three-run home run. It was against the Phillies and Bryce Harper, but still he's only pitched in the eighth inning twice this year and a minimal amount of times last year. So he's going to be a little bit out of his element, and sometimes closers, a lot of it can be mental. So you have to keep an eye on, on that. Yeah. On one hand, you know, Jansen is the ninth inning guy, and you know, he's if he's in, he should pitch the ninth. And by the way, uh, I think in the playoffs, they're going to do what the Dodgers did, and it might just be Iglesias, right? Uh, going, getting to the playoffs is one thing, but after the playoffs starts, it's something else. But, you know, the devil's advocate, the other side of it says, you know, he's free. He's a free agent at the end of the year, Jansen. Why the heck do you have to build up his value by putting him in the ninth? Iglesias is going to be there for the next couple of years. We can just start treating Iglesias as the closer now. So I, I would hold I would hold Iglesias in 12-team or deeper for the moment. Uh, I wouldn't rush to drop him right away, see how things shake out. And 15-team, I'm probably keeping him. I own him in a, in a lot of places, mm-hmm. uh, which is was a good thing because he actually was a very reasonably priced closer this year. 
But now we have this kind of decision that uh, came up out of the air. Uh, Milwaukee, interesting situation. You got Devin Williams, the newly acquired Taylor Rogers, even Matt Bush. Um, well, Rogers has been a closer this year. Williams had not been. But do they give it to Williams? Do they give Rogers save? Do they just go lefty righty and whoever you know, whatever the best leverage situation of use is in the ninth, do it? What, what do you think, Steve, on how Milwaukee shakes out? I think it's all in on. He's been so good this year, and it's you know you talk about the ninth inning being different from the eighth inning, Ruben. Uh, he came in in a tie game in the ninth, in you know the first game after Hader is traded, and then he gives up a go-ahead home run to Brian Reynolds, and they lose to the Pirates. So uh, I, I think that's probably just uh, a freak happening, and I think Devin Williams is going to be fantastic. I mean, he already has he has six saves already this season. He had some last year as well. So it's not like he's entering foreign territory. He knows what it's like to close games out, and just his stuff is so good. And I think that home run was like the first run he'd allowed since you know May or something like that. So... Devin Williams, I, I, you would be silly. I think Craig Council would be silly not to have Devin Williams pitching when it means the most. And, you know, that means the ninth inning in most cases. And, Ruvain, we, we own Taylor Rogers in a bunch of leagues uh, of all different sizes, which was a great thing that we had him all year. But are we are we dropping him? What, what, what are we doing with him in fantasy? I think we're not dropping. I think it's going to be closer to 50-50. If you trade away Josh Hader for another closer, it's very bad optics if you're not using the closer with the second most saves in the National League as a closer in your team. That looks very bad. You're trading a ninth inning guy for an eighth inning guy. I understand Devin Williams was great. and He's got that Frisbee slider. That's great. But to trade Hader, one of the top closers right now in baseball, for what they're going to use as an eighth inning guy, I don't think the Brewers are going to do that. I don't think the fan base would, would allow would They'll be up in arms about that. I, I don't think that's going to be possible. Yeah. I mean, it, it's an opportunity cost. It's right. You're you're dropping Taylor Rogers for what? Right? I mean, there, there might be uh, – David Robertson, is uh, is he going to be the closer in Philly? Uh, is he going to stay there? Is If you have Corey Knable, should you get rid of him? What do you think, Steve? Uh, I think definitely uh, David Robertson's a guy. I, I think the question is, do you hang on to Sir Anthony Dominguez? Uh, I mean, Knable to me is somebody that has been pushed down into you know, maybe a seventh or sixth inning role at this point with the addition of Robertson. Um, Dominguez was was better than Knable. And uh, for that reason, I think he's going to be the primary setup man. So, yeah, I, I think they got Rogers. They, I mean, uh, Robertson, they made it a point to get him. And you know, the worst thing is, it seems like everybody who comes to Philly to be a, a member of that bullpen ends up torching games and and uh, having trouble. So maybe it's just something about Citizens Bank Park or whatever. But uh, yeah, David Robertson did get a save in his first opportunity with the Phillies. So yeah, I think that's going to continue, especially if he can continue to nail down those saves and uh, and not blow too many. So I'll, I'll throw it out there to you, Ruvain, this way. In Baltimore, uh, with Jorge Lopez being traded, Felix Bautista is probably the guy, the way it looks like. He actually has a, had a fantastic year so far, 1.81 ERA, .87 whip with a 36% strikeout rate. He's pretty much the guy. Rowan Wick, probably the guy in Chicago. Hasn't been great this year, but they <laughs> traded everybody else. Are you rostering Wick, Bautista, or... Rogers Iglesias, like, uh, uh, you know, are, are you 
dropping Iglesias and Rogers for one of those guys who appear to be the guy, not nearly as good a pitcher, and maybe the others get save opportunities? Like, what's your order for uh, for dropping and, and importance for those people? Well, I don't think I'm dropping either Iglesias or Rogers yet. I, I just can't. Plus, they have the track record. Uh, Batista doesn't have that much of a track record, but if you look at his numbers, he's got a K rate per nine of 12 right now, and he's pitching amazing. And he's on a team that's over 500. It's not like Baltimore of last year that they're going to lose over 100 games. They're actually in the playoff hunt, which makes a lot of their trades, like they traded Jorge Lopez away. They traded Trey Mancini. They're only When they traded him away, they were only three games out of the wild card. Yes, they're probably not going to make it because other teams bolstered themselves as well, but but I, I don't have any confidence in uh, Rowan Wick. Rowan Wick has a history of getting hurt. He can't stay healthy. He's got his second lowest K rate of his career this year. Even though his FIP and XFIP are, are actually lower, well, should be 0.5 lower than his actual ERA this year. So that means he's actually pitching better than what shows. But I have no confidence in Rowan Wick, especially for a Cubs team that's going nowhere. Batista, I would consider consider maybe for Taylor Rogers if you see that Taylor Rogers doesn't get the majority of the saves for the first couple of weeks. Well, you'd have to make the decision pretty quickly or somebody else will snag him. Uh, what, what do you think, Steve? Uh, what packing order do you have? Well, I, I think the guys that have done it um, certainly have the upper hand. Um, I love Batista, though, and I've, have, I've been watching more Orioles games here in the Washington, D.C. area than I have Nationals games for obvious reasons. They, they've been really exciting to watch. And uh, so Batista has, has impressed me, but also CNL Perez has, atta- uh, has impressed me, and Dylan Tate has been good, too. The Orioles' entire bullpen, I think that's really why they're a 500 team right now is because they've been able to just lock down opponents after the starters leave the game and have been able to hold leads and, you know, stay close to where they performed a lot of Oriole magic in the, uh, in the ninth inning and, and later. So I, I think all three of those guys in Baltimore are going to get save chances. So for that reason, I think I would probably still lean toward, you know, Taylor Rogers and Iglesias. But Batista for ratios and everything else that comes with it, I think he's going to put the, put up the best ratios of anybody that we've talked about. And uh, I, I think that he's probably going to get more saves than any of the other guys. But the question is, you know, how will they distribute them um, and how many saves will that end up being? I'm thinking less than 10 and probably, you know, in that six or seven range. Yeah, I, I, I actually think that Bautista, it looks pretty promising. Um, I mean, that strikeout rate is fantastic, 36% strikeout rate. Uh, ground ball rate, 40% okay-ish for a closer, but uh, the strikeout rate is pretty compensating and, uh, you know, hasn't really given up a lot of hits with that ridiculously great whip of .87. Um, yeah, Wick is not worth owning. And, and you know what? When you have a—it's now a pitcher's park in Baltimore. It lends to more close games. And, you know, for those of you who used to own a Romo in San Francisco all the years, mm-hmm. you know, when you're playing in pitcher's parks, even even if you're a, bit, a lousy team, you're going to have closer games, right? If, 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 if you're in a pitcher's park, it's okay to lose some, but when you win them, you're only winning them by a small amount. So Baltimore actually could be a good source of saves going going for the rest of the way. Um, question— um, Minnesota, let's look at that situation. Jorge Lopez coming from Baltimore. Is he now the new closer? Anybody else anybody absolutely. else worth rostering on that team? Yeah, he is. Uh, absolutely. Um, they they just had so many guys in and out of that closer spot. Um, and, and part of that is is the way that Rocco Baldelli likes to use his bullpen. But 
he, even when he had Taylor Rogers last year, uh, he didn't use him exclusively either. But um, I, I think that Jorge Lopez certainly has has earned that job and for what he's done so far this season. And uh, everybody else, if you could just get the ball to the ninth inning to Lopez, that's all they want from him. Yeah, t- two mile an hour jump in his fastball velocity this year, swinging strike. Best of his career at 11%, 60% ground ball rate. That's an enormous number, uh, and he's pitched every bit as good. So, yeah, he should be the guy. And if you have him, I have him in two leagues. He's worth holding on. And if he's not owned in a shallow league, uh, definitely uh, definitely get him. Makes you wonder why they didn't, uh, you know, nobody has converted him to a reliever before because, yeah. I mean, he was a starting pitcher, and he was getting lit up with ERAs in the sixes. And there's one guy in that in that Minnesota bullpen that they got also. They got Michael Fulmer. Michael Fulmer is a middle relief guy. He's a seventh inning guy, eighth inning guy. When he was with the Tigers, he had almost no chance of getting wins. You're putting him on the team in Minnesota. The team is actually pretty good. They're actually going for the division. He has more value because there's a possibility of him getting more wins. Exactly. One more closer question. I'll go to Ruvain first. Um, the Angels traded Iglesias, so that opens up a hole. Is it going to be Jose Quijada? Is it going to be Ryan Tapera? Any do are either of them worth rostering in in uh, twelve team leagues, Ruben? I do not think so. The two spots I'd stay away from any closes right now is the Angels and the Nationals. Both of them, their bullpens are a mess. Their teams are not going anywhere, and they haven't been winning many games, so they haven't had many save opportunities. But neither of those guys I'm, I'm really that thrilled with. Um, one of the guys you mentioned, Jose Quijada, he's a lefty, so I don't know how many save opportunities he's going to get. And and the same thing what I mentioned a minute with Washington even. They have Finnegan and they have Carl Edwards Jr. When they were playing the Mets, they put Finnegan in the eighth inning, and they put Edwards in the ninth inning. So everyone thought that Carl Finnegan was going to be the closer. I think the same thing is going to go on with the Angels. They're going to be going back and forth, back and forth. I don't think there's any rhyme or reason, especially maybe just because of lefty and righty. But otherwise, I don't think there's going to be any or much value out of that bullpen. You agree, Steve? I think so. I mean, Quijada looks like the guy to start. I mean, he got the first save chance after the Iglesias trade. Um, and he's been pretty good this season. He just blew up in the, in, in the uh, outing before allowed three earned runs in a third of an inning um, before he got that save. So his ERA went from, what, 193, which was pretty good, to uh, a ho-hum 332 after that. So I think he has been, uh, uh, in terms of merit, I think he certainly deserves to get uh, save chances there in Anaheim. But uh, I don't see a whole lot of wins coming. Yeah, I think you might have a share situation, which just dampers the fantasy value. I think we're talking mono leagues. For, for these two gentlemen. On to starting pitchers. So, um, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, Luis Castillo. Um, that was a pretty big haul that uh, the Reds got back in return. Castillo has been fantastic. Since June 28th, he's had a 199 ERA, 1.01 whip, 30% strikeout rate. He looks locked in. Was this, a, in terms of baseball terms, Steve, was this a good baseball trade for Seattle? Was this a good baseball trade for the Reds? I think it was great baseball trade for both teams. And, um, you know, the Reds waited uh, a while to uh, to trade Castillo. And, uh, you know, for some of those guys that they have uh, acquired that were tradable, um, you know, Nick Castellanos and, and others that they, they didn't manage to maximize the value. I think they did in this trade. So um, Noel V. Marte, 
looks like he could be a, a very, a certainly very young, but could be very good. And the pathway to getting to the major leagues is a lot easier in the Cincinnati system. So um, I think it works for them. And uh, obviously Castillo, the best pitcher on the market in my mind, and uh, the Mariners were able to get him. I, I thought that was a great one, a uh, great move for them. Yeah. Merrill Kelly has 10 wins on the year. Luis Castillo, just five. Ruvain, is this going to help Castillo's fantasy value? Really nothing to do in a redraft league at all. Uh, but it, does this help his value? And is this a buy in the dynasty type format? Yes, this is a great buy in the dynasty and a great buy anywhere because of the fact he's going from Cincinnati, a hitter's ballpark, to Seattle, which is not as much of a hitter's ballpark. And you know what? For dynasty, Noel Marte, he may be up by the end of next year. His first game with the Reds and the Miners, he hit two home runs. He looks like he's almost, he's getting there. He's, he's only 20 years old. He's going to get there. I think both teams made out great with this. I think this is the Mariners pushing all in and they're... Their prospects, their minor league system is so deep that they can make a trade like this and not blink on an eyebrow. I think it would be perfectly fine, and I think this is going to cement them in the wild card. Let's talk about the Frankie Montas trade, and um, they got uh, Oakland got back J.P. Sears. Now, uh, the strategy question on this is, Steve, are, are these starting pitcher prospects that are traded at the deadline, are they typically good investments down the stretch in fantasy? Because, you know, J.P. Sears is probably not widely owned at all in in fantasy yet, but now he's going to get a, a regular starting role, maybe change the scenery. Uh, who knows? Maybe a better park in terms of his ERA to pitch in. Um, in general, does this help these prospects to that are, that are traded uh, and look to be right up? Uh, is this a good investment? Do you see yourself really going after these guys, or it just, well, I'll take a dollar waiver wire stab and hope for the best? Yeah, only only in keeper leagues. I think in redraft leagues, I'm generally not touching any of those pitching prospects because, number one, they're usually going to a much, much worse team that's rebuilding, so the chances of picking up wins and uh, and excelling there are, are, are less. And then... Generally, they're young pitchers. I mean, Sears is maybe one of the uh, older prospects at 26, but generally they're young pitchers who haven't had the exposure, haven't had the innings on their arm. Um, so most of them are facing innings limits. And so in that case, you could see them getting shut down in early September or something. So yeah, as a general rule, those pitching prospects that are traded at the deadline, I stay away from them all. What about uh, Montas, Ruvain? Uh, that's obviously going to help his fantasy value. He has four four wins on the year. Uh, his ERA could go up because he's going to uh, New York, uh, but I gotta imagine this is a big gain for Montas owners. Do you agree? A hundred percent. This is he's going to get a bunch more wins. He's pitching, and, and it's going to be a harder division. But I think they got him because of the Astros. He's pitched very well against the Astros, and this is a specific trade to battle the Astros. This is that's their main rivalry right now. The main team that they're fighting against to get to the World Series, and that's the Yankees this year. They had the best record in baseball. It's do or die to get to the World Series. Their main obstacle is the Astros, and Montas has pitched very well. The only issue is, is that. He's had a shoulder issue this year. We don't know how bad it was. We're going to see if it will flare up or not. Um, and the rest of the Yankee rotation looks very shaky now with injuries and the trade of Jordan Montgomery, which to me didn't make much sense. But I think it's going to help Montas. I think his value is going way up. So, Steve, in terms of Montas for next year, as you know, he'll be on the Yankees again, is he is a top what 
starting pitcher? Is he a top 20, top 30, top 15? What do you think? I, I'll say, you know, the, the injury thing concerns me as well. I would say maybe top 30, um, and I'd have to look at what he was to me uh, or in my rankings um, at the beginning of this season. I'm concerned. I, I, I may be one of the few people that is really, really worried about Frankie Montas and, and the expectations in New York. I mean, he had a, a very good ERA pitching in Oakland. Yeah, 206 was his ERA in 12 starts at home. Seven starts on the road, ERA was over five. So I'm not convinced that he's going to be able to be a, a number two caliber starter in New York. I'll need to see it before I believe it. And um, and the injury issue makes it even more questionable. So um, I think maybe once he gets uh, acclimated to New York and it is able to, uh, you know, go toward next year looking toward next year i think he will be fine but i think the expectations are are way too high and probably that's part of the uh the yankee um publicity machine but i think that they're just way too high for what he could possibly deliver in this uh, rest of this season interesting so you think it's a, like a sunny gray 2.0 type situation where he just uh i i think it could be i mean that <laughs> oakland is a great place to pitch especially when there's not a whole lot of of pressure or anything like that and he's never faced that kind of pressure in his career and uh, he's gonna learn real fast you agree moving i mean he's a splitter pitcher so you get a little bit more ground balls than than most and the yankees defense is a little bit better but he's but the yankee but pitching at yankee stadium is a different animal than pitching in oakland oakland that foul territory there's so much room there to make outs um, although he may he may get more wins because there are more better bullpen arms in Yankees for the Yankees than as opposed for the for the Athletics, so he may get more wins. But I, I'm not. I mean, I'm concerned about the injury. I'm concerned more about the shoulder. I'm concerned about the innings. He's, he's pitched 104 innings this year so far. He is a total. He he got 187 innings last year. So. When he gets to the playoffs, you're going to try, start getting to that area where he's going to match or go above and beyond where he's pitched last year. And he had the shoulder injury already earlier this year. How much farther can he go? It, basically, what the Yankees did, they traded him for, I mean, it was a different trade, but they traded him for Jordan Montgomery, who was a little bit more, who was, who was already proven in, in, in the Yankee Stadium and proven with the Yankees and proven in the AL East, which Montas has not been yet. So it sounds like you, you guys will think that he's going to be overdrafted next year is what, is what I'm hearing here right it's possible i mean uh, the, I, I think the results we're gonna we're gonna uh look at small sample of his new york performance and base it a lot on that and uh i i think it's probably going health is going to be the main determining factor um for him next year as well so uh i i'm not that bullish at this point and the other thing too for this year if i could just throw this out also in the yankees don't have to pitch him every fifth day down the stretch with a comfortable lead in the AL East. So he might have a couple starts skipped so that he's fresh for the playoffs. So that's another reason I'm a little bit wary about him uh, the rest of this year. Let's move on to St. Louis. They acquired a pair of pitchers. Jose Quintana having a remarkable season with Pittsburgh. Heads over there with a 3-5 ERA that looks absolutely legit. <laughs> Three wins on the year with a 3-5 ERA. I mean, that's <laughs> That's uh, unbelievable, um, and he's a guy who hasn't really pitched that much of a length. I mean, he usually pitches five innings, but not much more than that. Maybe he helps, gets helped out tremendously by being in St. Louis. 
Uh, Quintana is, I mean, he's been a waiver guy in most formats, so I'm assuming he's going to be rostered quite a bit more now. Uh, Jordan Montgomery also, um, I mean, he's more owned because he's on the Yankees. He was actually very surprised that he got traded as well, but he looks stellar. 14% swinging strike rate, 46% ground ball rate, only a 5% walk rate, so he's basically, he's got whiffs, control, and he's getting it down in the ground. That's phenomenal, and his home run to fly, his home run rate to fly ball rate, fourteen percent, uh, which I mean that's that's another uh, you know Yankee Stadium. Maybe this gets a little bit better as well. So uh, what do you think about those two guys? Is now Quintana a must own? Is Jordan Montgomery go up in your ranks? Steve, what do you think? Yeah, I think both um, will will be successful. Um, Montgomery, though, I mean, as a lefty, you don't get the, all those. Uh, you know, more right-handed batters than left-handed, so you don't have to worry about as much the short porch home runs. But, um, yeah, yeah, I, I think uh, Quintana especially, staying in the division um, and instead of having to face the Cardinals, will be able to face the Pirates. And, uh, you know, the last – I, I look – the schedule looks really good for St. Louis. And the last six games of the regular season are three at home against Pittsburgh – and then three right after that at Pittsburgh. And so uh, I think that that sets up really nice for both of those guys uh, to where the point and, and the Cardinals, pretty good defensive team. You know, they were they were all world uh, historically good last year. Not as great this year, but a lot of the same guys are still around. So I think better defense will help both of them. Ruben? I'm more concerned about Quintana. Jordan Montgomery, I think, will do fine. I think he, for next year for drafting, I think he's going to go up in my rankings. Um, so I th- I'm very confident in Montgomery. He's been he's been doing this for a couple of years now. I have no issue with him. It's Quintana that I'm concerned about because how soon we forget. Last year, Quintana pitched in San Francisco, a good pitcher's park. He pitched to an ERA of 6-4 and a whip of 1-7. Okay, so once he's in the division, that's it's, and he's staying in the in the central because that's what he's used to because he played with the white with with the Cubs and he played with the White Sox, so he played interleague play a lot there. So I think the central division is fine, but once you get out and if you have to, you have to play a lot of games out of the division, I think Quintana is going to start to hit a wall. Um, I'm more concerned about Quintana than anyone else, and I think they got Quintana because they had question marks about Stephen Matz coming back this year because Stephen Matz is a lefty, he couldn't stay healthy, he's on the IL, they don't know when he's going to come back, and can. Quintana just fills that role, and I think he's, as a number five starter, it's perfectly fine. For fantasy purposes, he's great to own. He's only 40% owned right now in CBS. If you can pick him up now, he'll get more wins for you now than he was when he was with the Pirates. Steve, I have a baseball question for you. Yeah. Um, The Cardinals seem very, very invested and very, very high on Dylan Carlson. They did not trade him to get Juan Soto. They would just not part with him is what the word on the street is. And, uh, I mean, they traded away Harrison Bader because, I don't know, the Cardinals don't seem to have a fantastic outfield, but I guess they're comfortable with what they have with Carlson being the anchor. Do you agree with this this assessment here of Dylan Carlson? And uh, are we missing something about him? <laughs> you know, I, I, I was wondering the same thing because, to me, I think the Cardinals could have put together a competitive package to get Juan Soto had they uh, been willing to include Carlson in there. And from all indications, they were not. Um, and then to trade away Bader, you're right. They they have basically planted their flag and have said, this guy is going to be our center fielder 
for the next five or six years. And uh, I think, you know, he's he's a solid player. And judging from, you know, they know him from his minor league career, which was, was really good. Um, but he just hasn't really delivered in the major leagues the way that uh, I think a lot of us expected him to. So I think the Cardinals see a lot more in him and a lot more improvement. Um, but in looking at numbers and looking at uh, you know what he's done so far, it's kind of hard to see exactly what they're seeing. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, as a fantasy owner, you kind of say, wait a minute, they're a little bit closer to the guy than we are. You know, should we be a little bit more targeting him next year in fantasy drafts, being that the Cardinals know something we don't know? Like, it it just plays in the back of my mind as a fantasy player because I don't see the, the data here to, to back it up with him. I just don't. Thoughts, Ruben? Well, the Cardinals are very good with these prospects, and the outfield prospects, they've been doing pretty hits for the last couple of years. Tyler O'Neill last year was really good. This year he's okay. Um, Harrison Bader was good enough to trade for Jordan Montgomery this year, so they're able to work up their prospects. Dylan Carlson last year was actually pretty good. He batted 266 with 18 home runs. That's not great, but playing center field, if you can play good defensively center field, then it's worthwhile to have. And it, and yeah, if if you can if you had to package him with a couple of their prospects, that's you know you're you're handicapping yourself. Yes, you're getting back Juan Soto. You're getting a generational talent, as everyone's saying, but. To handicap you in other positions, I, that's why I think the Cardinals didn't go for it. One more pitcher to talk about: Tyler Molly goes to Minnesota. Steve, are, are you? Uh, 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 do you approve of Minnesota in the trade deadline? I mean, they they got some relief help that we all think looks great, and they got actually a pretty decent starter. He has a two point one WAR this season, very decent twenty six percent K rate. His ERA looks a little bit not so great at four four, although his Sierra is three eight one. So he's been a little bit unlucky. Pretty good pitcher pickup. Not a big name Montas Castillo, but probably the third best pitcher to go somewhere. Uh, what do you think of the uh, Minnesota trade deadline? I agree. Um, the, the Twins like to do things. You know, obviously the uh, Carlos Correa signing was a huge splash, which is a little bit out of character for them. But to do the things like to get Lopez and to get Tyler Molly, who you know I, I think was hurt really. Uh, really badly by the park in Cincinnati. Um, his ERA there at home was close to five, but um, I mean, he's got the the high strikeout rate, almost 10 Ks per nine. And that's, that's what you need. Th those are those uh, pitchers that can miss bats. And uh, for the, for the twins, I thought they made out really well. Ruben, are you surprised that the guardians didn't do anything? And I don't think we think the, the white Sox did like, uh, you know, just for the, by the fact that Minnesota added something, uh, you know, they, they moved ahead and the other teams that are in contention did nothing. Do, are you disappointed in, in those teams for really not doing anything? I'm actually shocked that the Guardians didn't do anything. If anything, we heard about the Guardians trading away some of their starting pitchers, which didn't make much sense. Not only that, Fran Moraes is being, if he wasn't demoted, he's going to be demoted soon, and he knows it. So there's a whole transition going on there. I don't know if they want to go for it this year. It looks like they're not going for it. If they were, they probably would have made some trades. But they like what they have. They have a young core. 
coming actually from the Mets with with Jimenez and with Ahmed Rosario off the middle. Both those guys have been playing very well, and they have Jose Ramirez. Their their infield is solid. Their outfield they get on base with uh, with with Stephen Kwan and some players like that. So they have the offense there. I'm shocked that they didn't go after. They needed one pitcher. If they get one more pitcher on the same level, the guys that they have right now. There's no reason why they can't win the division. I think the the wild card in all this is another team that didn't do that much, and that's the White Sox. The White Sox somehow they're still in the division race. The team is where most people pick them to win the division this year. They're still in the division race. They just have to get healthy and turn some you know play actually up to their capabilities. Otherwise, I think that's why another reason why Cleveland didn't go for it because they think that that the White Sox are going to just all of a sudden come back to them and be what the level they're supposed to be at. Let's talk hitters. Um, start with the strategy question, Steve. We said that pitchers, and you said that pitchers are usually not very good investments, the prospects that are traded that start. Is that true for hitters? So, for example, Mickey Moniak just got traded. Looks like he's going to be an everyday player. By the way, he homered today. Yeah. Uh, is, is this very different for hitters? Are you interested in these? Okay, these guys get traded. Let's get them. I remember Andrew McCutcheon when he was traded somewhere in the middle of the season, and right away he he, he rose to stardom mid-season. Uh, do, you, do you think there's a difference between pitchers and hitters in terms of this strategy? I do because, you know, especially if they're going to get that regular playing time. And um, for, for as we know in this fantasy game, the, the key, especially the deeper your leagues, just getting the at-bats and getting the playing time and getting the opportunity to put up, uh, you know, numbers in those counting categories. Um, that's why I'm willing, you know, and, and if somebody, if, if you're somebody that uh, a team trades for, and it's it's obvious that that you that you are wanted and that they have a, a role for you and if they put you into that role even if you struggle a little bit i think you get a little bit more rope as opposed to you know with pitchers how confidence is so terribly important um so i think yes the ability to play every day and get those at bats uh, makes me a little bit more willing to take a chance on a young player that gets traded and goes to a new team with new opportunities. You know, Randy Arozarena is a, is a great example for from a couple of years ago. Yeah. You agree with me? I agree. And I'm also going to add on to the fact of role players, because look what the Mets did. The Mets didn't really do that much. They got a couple of platoon guys. They got Dan Vogelbach and they got Tyler Naquin. Naquin has two home runs, and the game's still going on, but Naquin has two home runs today. They are, they're going to be put in a better lineup out of Cincinnati. It's out of Cincinnati, but still a better lineup. Vogelbach out of Pittsburgh into a better lineup with the Mets. They're going to be put into a position where they can play well, where they can play to their best abilities, where they're going to be playing to their strengths. And if you, you can still get these guys when they're available in your leagues, why not get them? Because you know when they're going to play. You know they're going to be righty or lefty platoons. So this is the same thing like last year with, with San Francisco. They had it down to a science, who to play, when to play, and it worked out perfectly. And those guys, if you know how to play them, they'll play to your advantage. Yeah, the Mets seem to be doing what San Francisco is doing. They also got Darren Ruff from San Francisco. And I have to ask this, Ruven, because we're Mets fans. Uh, are you good with the Mets deadline? Darren Ruff, is that a good trade? I mean, and in the back of your mind, were you, were you hoping that Wilmer Flores would have been the guy to come back? 
I think Wilmer Flores would have fit them better because he plays infield and he hits lefties just as well as Darren Ruff, and he's done it for longer than Darren Ruff has. And I don't like having an ex-Philly on my roster, and I'm, I'm a Mets fan, <laughs> so he used to be a Philly, and I have to say that. Um, but I'm more concerned about their bullpen, that they didn't do anything for their bullpen because they traded for Michael Givens, and what did he do oh, the boy. first time out? He gave up five runs. So oh, I'm boy. a little bit more concerned about that than anything else. Although they said all the people coming back is like trade deadline uh, acquisitions. Jacob deGrom, they're going to put Tyler McGill in t as a reliever. So if you have him as a starter now, he could be dropped. I don't, there's no reason for him to be on your roster anymore if he's on the aisle. There's also no reason for him to be on your roster right now. So I I, um, I, I like what they did offensively, but they they still they missed that one pitching or two pitching guys from the bullpen. That's what they really needed. Yeah, Steve, why, why, why did the Mets get Michael Givens, who, by the way, pitched against the Mets in the both ends of a doubleheader earlier this year and lost both games for the Cubs <laughs> against the Mets? Um, well, the Phillies gave up their 25th best prospect for Robertson. I mean, Robertson clearly better than Givens. Why in the world the Mets, obviously going for it, did, didn't really have to spend that much to, to get Robertson or somebody better. Why, why did the Mets walk away with Givens? Are, are you surprised? I, I am. I think the the comfort that Buck Showalter feels with Michael Givens, who he had in Baltimore, uh, uh, it had something to do with it, and uh -huh. he felt confident that that Givens could get the job done there. And so that was that was to me the the one little nugget that made it all make sense. Um, but yeah, I was surprised the Mets didn't do more. I was surprised they didn't make. Uh, and maybe they did, but we didn't hear about it. A run at Wilson Contreras. That was that was the maybe the most surprising thing that wasn't done is that Contreras stayed put in Chicago, and uh, and the Mets didn't look to upgrade their catching spot. Yeah, with Contreras, I think that the Cubs basically said, you know what, we're going to attempt to sign him, uh, and if we're going to trade him midseason, the, the return's got to be X. And the, you know nobody in the league met it, so they just said, okay, we'll we'll just play with him the rest of the year, and 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 we'll attempt to sign him next year. Same thing with J.D. Martinez on the Red Sox. I think that uh, he was offered, and the Red Sox said, well, you know, well, we're still in it. We're gonna keep him if somebody offers X, we'll trade him. If not, we'll keep him. They got what they wanted apparently from the catcher Vasquez, but I think that's what happened. Um, the Mets also have a couple guys coming back in terms of the bullpen. Trevor May just came back, I and mean, he originally was supposed to be the eighth inning guy. So, you know, that, that's like acquiring somebody. And also Tyler Magill uh, is supposed to come back as well, and the Mets are going to use him in the bullpen. So that's another bullpen arm. Of course, the Mets have DeGrum coming back. They don't need starting pitcher help. So, uh, you know, the Mets are a team that they want to position themselves like the Dodgers. They want to be able to run uh, a good prospect team that they can keep drawing on don't have to feel that they have to shell out the whole farm to push for any one year. Comfortable with what they have so far. Reinforcements are on the way. And what they did was they said, you know what? We can get value out of each lineup spot. We'll get Vogelbach and Ruff. That will take care of the DH spot. That's a big upgrade if you look at the righty-lefty platoon splits. I mean, Darren Ruff against lefties, 151 WRC plus this year. That's fantastic. And Vogelbach has been excellent against against righties, so let's just pair him up. Um, they saw Tyler Naquin was a good value upgrade. Certainly they were correct. I mean, Travis Jankowski, you know, is certainly an upgrade from him. So the Mets just made some good incremental changes. I, I still don't get why they went for they couldn't give up anything for Robertson, but you know, overall I'm I'm decently happy. You can't argue you can't argue with getting DeGrom back too. I mean that's that that could be the biggest addition of anybody 
you know, even beyond Juan Soto's impact in San Diego. And, and you can say that DeGrom will determine the winner of the National League East and maybe even the National League uh, pennant because if he stays healthy and he's a number one guy, you have two number ones. That's like that's going back to a Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson type two, one-two punch, and that's almost unbeatable. Yeah. Joey Gallo going to the Dodgers. Uh, <laughs> why? Why in the world? I guess the Dodgers just figured, you know, we're going we're, we're gonna to win anyways. At the off chance that he makes it, we're not giving up much. What the hell? If he stinks, we'll just cut him, not put him in the playoff roster. Is that what you think the Dodgers did? Because obviously they didn't, they traded uh, three bags of balls for him. I th- I think Joey Gallo still has some value, and uh, I may be uh, all alone on this island. Um, but the value doesn't necessarily come from the offense. It comes from his ability to play defense. Um, he's a very good base runner for a guy his size. And, and I think just getting out of New York, this is another, another one of those situations where uh, some of the interviews, uh, I think you guys probably saw, I mean, Joey Gallo was just beaten down mentally by the relentless boos and everything else to where he couldn't hardly focus on, on playing there in New York. And just to get out of that, get to a different atmosphere, um, and and have fans who who could root for him, um, I think it could make a difference. Now he's not going to hit 270 or anything like that, but I think he can be a valuable player. And when you don't have to give up anything for him, it's certainly worth an opportunity to just find out. Well, uh, we don't really have a, a big trivia question. Uh, let's just fire up the music. Here we go. <laughs> All right, two, moving two weeks, in, two weeks, two weeks in a row. You're stealing this from me. Okay, <laughs> I told you no trivia today, but what the heck? Um, where does Joey Gallo rank? Uh, two questions: Where does Joey Gallo rank? Anybody uh, in terms of uh, players with minimum 200 plate appearances on the year in terms of batting average, and uh, in terms of where he ranks? Can you name the player or players that rank below him? <laughs> Steve? Wow. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, I'll tell uh, Max Muncy might be close there in LA. I don't know if he's got the uh, at bats, the number of at bats to qualify, but I know Max Muncy's hitting pretty poorly as well this season. Muncy has a lot more plate appearances than Gallo, and he's batting 167 to Gallo's 159. Ah. I don't think there's Close. anyone below him. I, 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 he's just, he's just been so, so bad. He's three for his last twenty nine before he was traded to the, to from, from the Yankees. I, I don't think there's anyone below him. I mean, the Dodgers said they found something mechanically wrong with his swing, and and you see how well they fixed um, Cody Bellinger's swing so far. So I'm not, I don't have much <laughs> confidence in that. But I, I just don't, I, I don't think there's anyone below him. All right, well, there is one player. He ranks Gallo ranks number two. There's one player. I'll give you his stats, see if I can guess him. 210 batting average, five homers, 21 runs, 14 RBI, seven stolen bases, 41% strikeout rate. By the way, Gallo is 39%. Um, and his batting average is 145. Can anybody guess who he is? Hmm. I know Brandon Marsh has a real high strikeout rate, but I think he hits a little bit better than that. Is yep. he still playing, or was he sent down? I think he was traded. This guy, he was traded. Well, was he sent? No, I think he's traded. Kurt Casale. Uh, nope. Oh. <laughs> the answer is Brett Phillips. 
Oh, right. Oh, he yes. was DFA'd. He was DFA'd. DFA'd? Yeah. It, right after, yeah. yeah and he yeah. went to yeah. Baltimore. So yeah. he's uh, he's there. Uh, that, oh, boy. I, they, they welcomed <laughs> him with open arms. So yeah. But Gallo does see. have a uh, 15% walk rate. So, I mean, there's value in OBP. It's got a 282 OB, OBP, which is bad, but, you know, it's not death. Um, so, you know, he does have some value there. But that, that batting average is just absolutely putrid. Um, and you're not getting the home. I mean, he's got 12 homers, which, you know, if you're batting 150 and you've got uh, 25 homers at this point, okay. Um, but, yeah. All right. Uh, anyway, let's uh, – to wrap up the hitters, just want to to throw out this this question to you, a strategy question, uh, Steve. Let's start with you. Um, in terms of fantasy value, the players – there are f- relevant players on bad teams. So, for example, you got uh, Jorge Mateo and Cedric Mullins in uh, in uh, Baltimore. You're going to take Cedric Mullins the third. Yeah, that guy. Uh, you got Bobby Witt and Salvador Perez in in Kansas City. They've got tremendous value. Question is, what happens to their value for the rest of the season going here? Do they go up, down? Is it sideways? Is there a categorical thing? What's your take on on the value of players on crappy teams now that they've traded away all players? I don't think the Oriole. I mean, Trey Mancini is a is a a big loss to that offense, but um, I think the Orioles are still still a fine offensive team. I mean, they're about league average, um, and so in that regard, I think Cedric Mullins is is still just fine. I think Jorge Mateo is not going to stop stealing bases. You know, that's where his fantasy value is. Um, Salvador Perez is still going to hit home runs and, and Bobby Witt Jr. is going to be in the top of that lineup. So yeah, if you don't have Benintendi, he's had a pretty good year. Um, he's got, you know, great on base skills and stuff. They'll miss that. But in terms of a measurable difference in, in fantasy stats, I, I think it's, it's probably more uh, variances in Babbitt will have more of an effect on those guys, fantasy values than not having you know, a key component in the lineup. You agree with it? Yeah, I, I think all their values are going to stay sideways. I think these guys are still going to do what they're going to do. I mean, the Kansas City trading away Whit Merrifield, uh, is that going to affect Salvador Perez? I don't think so. I mean, Salvador Perez, he's he's a, he's a home run guy anyway. He's going to hit his home runs. He's going to bat. If he bats 200, 220, 240, that's fine. He'll still hit his, hit his home runs, and he's come back, and he's done that already. So I don't see any changes there. Uh, a player like Bobby Wood Jr. may get affected a little bit, but then they'll have more patience with him, and they'll let him play through it or whatever he has. Same thing with any, any guys in the Orioles. It's just more playing time for other guys to try to get better for next year. I don't think their value is going to go down. They're going to get the same plate appearances, and if they get the same plate appearances, then there's no reason why their value should go down. Yeah, the net effect should be somewhat similar. I do think, though, that the RBIs should go down. I mean, if you have you don't have Benintendi in your lineup to knock in, the RBIs for Perez have to go down. Uh, for the stolen bases, I think that they could go up because when you have a, a an offense that gets more anemic, you might want to steal more bases to compensate. Or, hey, we're out of it anyway. Let's just build up these counting stats for these speed guys. So I can see that happening. And I think walks would go up because now there's less lineup protection. You can see them getting on base. So the loss of the run production, but the increase in some of the other stats probably have a net effect. But I think it is a little bit categorical. All right. um, The question I have about Soto, and uh, I guess we really should not – we shouldn't skip talking about the Juan Soto trade, although, I mean, everyone, he's rostered everywhere. There's nothing you're going to do. Dynasty League, good luck getting him now. 
but what what are your overall thoughts on the Soto trade? Obviously, it was a massive haul, probably about as good a haul as any team would want to get. The question for you I have is, getting into 2023 drafts, will Soto now move to being drafted like number one overall? I wouldn't think so. Um, I, I think you still, because of stolen bases being so valuable that it would have to be somebody like a Trey Turner, Jose Ramirez, or maybe Fernando Tatis Jr. You've got to have all, or, or Ron Lacuna Jr. I think those guys would just off the top of my head be the top four. And after that, you probably could have Juan Soto in the top five. So it wouldn't surprise me at all to uh, to see him there. But as for number one, uh, I don't think so. Um, but certainly going to San Diego, where he's not the only threat in the lineup, um, makes it much, much better offensively for him to uh, to succeed and uh, and score more runs when he does walk, and there will be more runners on base that he can drive in. Well, the stolen bases, though, he does steal some. He has six stolen bases this year, and I think you can expect somewhere between 8 and 12 for him going forward, so he's not like a zero. It's not like a Vladimir Guerrero type thing. But, uh, yeah, n- noted on the other players, you know, Acuna, similar uh, Trey, Trey Turner, though, I think I would rather take Juan Soto than Trey Turner because in terms of portfolio risk, profile risk, you have Trey mm-hmm. Turner where most of his value is aggregated in the stolen base statistic. Soto is a little bit more distributed, and when you're filling a team in terms of aggregation, I don't like to take all those guys. I mean, t- obviously Turner is a phenomenal pick at one with the steals, but you know, Soto, the value overall might be worth it. And by the way, this is, we're talking r- batting average Roto Leagues. I think in an OBP league, I think it's much more of a case that Soto is 1-1 overall. What do you think, Absolutely. Yeah. I think that Jose Ramirez is probably going to be close to – it's going to be 50-50 next year between Jose Ramirez and Trey Turner being the number one overall pick. Trey Turner, because all those stolen bases, he, he hasn't really disappointed that much this year. But Jose Ramirez, he's just so consistent. He gives you more power. His batting average is good. He gives you a ton of runs. So I don't see why you would take Juan Soto ahead of Jose Ramirez. Yes, Juan Soto next year is going to be in a great lineup. It's going to be re- he's going to be really really good. But you know, it's sort of I guess for a couple of years ago, it's Mike Trout syndrome. Do you take Mike Trout first? Do you take Fernando Tatis first? I mean, Trout a couple of years ago when he was hitting all the home runs and getting all the RBIs, scoring all those runs and stealing stolen bases. He was, he was number one, number one, number one. Then he fell to number two. Then he fell to number four, and he started falling back because of the lack of stolen bases. If Soto starts stealing more stolen bases, then I can see Soto as a number one. But otherwise, I still see Trey Turner and at least Jose Ramirez ahead of him. And Steve, what, what did you think of the overall trade? And by the way, how about Brandon Drury? That guy is a sneaky value. 21 homers, 275 <laughs> batting average so far. He's got 63 runs and 63 RBIs, almost a three-war to date. I mean, I, I think he is actually a huge component in this. That's It's great for Sandy. It's worse for Drury's uh, fantasy value going there, though, because he leaves Cincinnati where he was in the lineup every single day. I think he could you know, maybe get a few extra days off in San Diego because the rest of that lineup is so good. I mean, he was slotted in, I think, as the DH in his first game, played some second base in his second game. So they could mix and match to try and keep everybody fresh down the stretch. Uh, but I, I think he's had a phenomenal year. And if if you got Brandon Drury in fantasy at, at close to the beginning of the year, you're probably in contention because he's been that good 
for, you know, I, I think in my, in my final uh, awards column that I'm going to have for this season, waiver wire pickup of the year, it's no question it's Brandon Drury. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. He he is the fantasy MVP, especially in the waiver wire pickup. I mean, that just phenomenal value. He's the 17th best hitter in terms of roto value. Uh, crazy. Uh, and and Josh Bell's value has gone up immensely also because uh, yeah. who's behind him in Washington? There was nobody behind him. Now all of a sudden, he's going to score more runs. He gets on base. He's he, he, His batting average is, is not going to hurt you. His batting average is good. He's going to score a lot more runs. And with Brendan Drury there, he can drive them all in. He's having a career season. He's usually a, a journeyman. This is his first year. He, he thanked the Reds for giving him an opportunity to play every day. And look what happened when he played every day. Yeah. I think he homered today also, Josh Bell. So. Just up and up yeah. with the value. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing, too, is not only uh, do they have a better lineup around them that they can make every plate appearance, you know, they can maximize that, but they're going to get more plate appearances per game. I think that was what the frustrating things watching the Nationals is Juan Soto's hitting in the number three spot, and, you know, it's it's hard for him to get that fourth at bat sometimes because it's the lineup just doesn't turn over as frequently. And uh, so that's that's one of the things, too. The Padres lineup is going to turn over and those guys are going to get five at bats, maybe more uh, in a game. And what Washington did was they have a couple of starters for next year. C.J. Abrams will definitely start next year. Mackenzie Gore, as long as he's healthy, he's going to start next year. Robert Hassel, he's doing very well in the minors. He may even be up the end of next year. So they're, they're going to have a combination, basically, of the Dodgers farm system from the Trey Turner trade and the, and the Padres farm system, and they're going to play them. Those guys who were there, they were blocked by other players on the Padres. They were blocked by other players on the Dodgers. So these guys are going to get the opportunity, and I just hope the Washington Nationals picked right. Otherwise, they're going to be sitting in a pile of, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, Ariel, you you mentioned you know some of the guys that like Contreras didn't get traded because the Cubs said we want this kind of package and nobody was willing to meet it. I think Mike Rizzo in Washington said we want this kind of package, and the Padres came along and said, okay, there, 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 there. How about that? And right. Mike Rizzo really didn't have you know after making the big demands didn't really have the ability to say no because it's exactly what he asked for. And to throw in, uh, he said at the at his press conference, to throw in the 18-year-old pitcher, Harlan Susana, um, who's dominating the Arizona Complex League right now. Once they did that, then the Nationals were like, this, this is the package. And uh, as much as it hurt, uh, certainly Nationals fans, to see Juan Soto go, and I, I've I pine for poor Juan Soto. I mean, I love watching him play every single day. Um, this is about, if he was going to walk at the end of 2024, this is like the ultimate package that you could get for him. So in that regard, um, it's going to hurt for a while in Washington. But as those guys, you know, as Abrams takes over at shortstop and, and moves Luis Garcia to second next year and Mackenzie Gore enters the rotation and we start seeing, you know, Hassel and Wood and those guys dominating in the minors. Um, it's, I think the pain is going to go away eventually, but uh, it's going to take a while. I think you said it best. And, you know, they basically, Washington said, okay, well, we're not signing Juan Soto, right? So, sure, he's up for grabs. Well, teams, uh, I want this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, five guys. And the Padres said, done. So, yeah. I mean... Have you ever made a trade like that in fantasy where you thought you asked for the moon 
And whoever you're yeah. uh, talking with said, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've had that. I've had that. <laughs> no, you, That's you stunning. Get, you, should get, you should get laughed at when that happens, but they, but the Padres ponied up. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, Steve, because, I, you know, the question is, do you find that most, uh, most times if, if the team waits until the off season, they get a better package than middle of the season? Like is, is that the case in general? Cause I was about to say that, you know, I don't think that if they waited till the end of the season that they would have gotten a better deal. Like I think this was the best you can get. Um, you know, waiting till the offseason would have gotten them nothing. Uh, well, I'm sorry, not nothing. We would have gotten no, no better than this. Um, well, yeah. do, but in but in general, do you think that the better packages come in the offseason? In general, yes, I do because you know you know who for the most part the buyers and the sellers are at this point in the season. When you get to spring training and there's all this optimism and, and you know, nobody's gotten hurt and out for the season uh, for the most part, you've got a lot more teams that think, okay, if we just had this piece, maybe we can make a deep run into the postseason. So there's a lot more optimism in the preseason. And for that, that's why I thought Juan Soto was going to stay put, uh, to tell you the truth. But when the Padres came with that package, it was really hard to turn down. Yeah. And, uh, of course, you forgot the most significant uh, piece is, is the Washington got back Eric Hosmer. Oh, wait a minute. He uh, said, no <laughs> thanks. Um, <laughs> they got Luke Voigt instead. Uh, man, I mean, can you imagine Hosmer goes to a clubhouse knowing that, uh, eh, I don't want to be on that team. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to exercise my, my right. Um, <laughs> what do you think of that whole Hosmer situation? By the way, um, I mentioned to you before, the, before we started the show, I think Hosmer is just going to be platooned. I mean, got – Bobby Dahlbeck, who's being fine, and they can just do a straight righty-lefty platoon at first, right? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I mean, Hosmer is a, a solid, a better defensive player than Dahlbeck is at first base. But otherwise, yeah, I think uh, just a straight platoon. I mean, the, the Padres weren't having him face lefties that often when when in San Diego. So I don't know why the, uh, the Red Sox, when they have a perfectly capable uh, platoon mate, wouldn't do the same thing. And I feel bad for Luke. I feel bad for Luke Voigt. He went from the Yankees to the Padres to the Nationals. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, too bad for well, that he's, guy. He's going to be hitting high in the lineup, you know. So if oh, yeah. he's looking to build his value, he's going to be. Uh, I would imagine. I think he was hitting in the in Juan Soto's number three spot um, in his first game. So at, at least from a fantasy standpoint. If you have held on to Luke Voigt uh, to this point, you may have uh, more value out of him the last two months than you did the first four. This is true. Helps his own value also for his next contract as well, I have to imagine. Um, yep. Just in general, as we end this uh, section here on talking about the trade deadline, uh, what, what do you think, Steve, are the team winners and losers uh, of the deadline? I'll tell you, in terms of, of teams, obviously, I think Seattle did well. Um, the, the Houston Astros, we haven't talked much about them, but to get Trey Mancini and Will Smith, um, I, I think made them a lot more solid. Uh, I, I like their, um, I like their rotation. Uh, I don't think they needed Jake Odorizzi and he wasn't going to make a playoff start for them. Um, and I, I think the Astros got a lot better, um, by not making, you know, a huge splash and not giving away a ton either because Mancini's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. So um, I think they are a, uh, a team that, that was definitely a winner in all of this. 
And uh, in terms of what you know, the Nationals needed to do and what the Reds needed to do to get back to being competitive, I think they did a good job of, of getting a, a haul of prospects for the guys that they traded. Yeah, I agree with, with everything there. Ruve? And I think the Braves were a big winner also because they bolstered their bullpen. They got a starter like they needed to. And if Acuna can start batting like a regular Ronald Acuna, that's all they need. They didn't really need to make a trade for offense. I think they did what they're supposed to. And being a Met fan, I'm a little nervous about having Rafael Iglesias there. So I, so if I'm nervous about it, they did a good job. <laughs> I think the Yankees did well. I think they got Mont- Montas, who's keepable a little bit more. They've got Benintendi. I mean, it wasn't the, the, the last day, but uh, it was the deadline, De- Benintendi. They got Bader. Um, they've got Scott Efros from the Cubs. Um, who's that the other reliever they up. got? They got yeah. – uh, I'm drawing a blank on the other guy. But they, they got another – oh, Lou Trevino. Okay. I mean, they they, they, they bettered themselves. Uh, I think the big loser in the trade deadline is the Rockies. Um, their only transaction was lock up Daniel Bard for a couple more <laughs> years. What? I mean – A 36-year-old closer. Right. I in mean – Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Ruvain, if if your son was was to manage the the Rockies, would he do a better job? I mean, you, you you sign Chris Bryant, why, and now you lock up Bard in a tough division? I I, I don't get it. What are the and Rockies Chris doing? Bryant, Chris Bryant has only played forty three games this year because of injury. So even their signings aren't that good. And and trading away Trevor Story, yes, he's hurt now, but trading. I mean, all they've they've done everything possibly wrong, and their division just got a lot harder. So last year they could have got something for John Gray, who, by the way, just got hurt. He he had been pitching tremendously. They didn't trade him for anybody, but they locked up Senzatella and Freeland. Like what what are they doing, the Rockets? And they didn't trade Herman Marquez either, who I really thought needs a change of scenery and could help somebody um and provide some depth to a rotation. That that is maybe the biggest surprise to me because you know, pitching in Colorado is is not easy. And Marquez has shown some flashes, pretty good strikeout rate, um, but he just gets hammered there. And uh, I would love to see him get a chance in a, you know, a little bit more pitcher-friendly ballpark. I think there's a chance that the Rockies' phones just don't work. Like, what, what's <laughs> the re- what, maybe their phone system's broken. I mean, could that be a real possibility? I don't know. Uh, just it's crazy. Uh, the Dodgers, I think, did well because they didn't make a trade. Remember last year they made a huge splash with Scherzer and Turner. Well, they didn't do anything. Uh, they didn't need to, and that farm system stays intact pretty much. So they did well. I think the Phillies actually did decently. They got a pitcher, yeah. Syndergaard. They got the reliever Robertson. Didn't give up all too much for them. Um, and look, they're not. They're in contention still. Um, they they probably could be a wild card. Um, but, you know, they just bettered themselves a little bit and didn't give up much and uh, just made themselves better to keep, keep 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 pace with everybody else in the NL East. So. And they got Brandon Marsh, too, who can Marsh, play center right, field, right. which is, you know, something that, you know, the Phillies have had a big void in, uh, in center field for a while now and uh, just somebody who can go and get the ball because, obviously, when you're having Castellanos out there, um, you know, Hoskins not a great defensive. The, 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 the defense, especially with Harper's sideline, is just terrible. So if you're going to if you're going to do anything, you need to have somebody at least there in center field who can go and get the ball. And Marsh certainly can do that. Did, did you like the Merrifield move of Toronto? I can't figure it out. I mean, we, we learned um, most recently today, I believe, that he is vaccinated. Yeah. So the issue about 
being able to play in Toronto is a non-issue. So at least that's good. Um, I guess, I mean, Merrifield was, was just an okay player uh, this year. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that really moves the needle. Um, I, I like Merrifield, uh, but I don't know if that really pushes Toronto into, you know, uh, another level. I think they're very good anyway. If you have Manoa and, and Gossman at the top of your rotation, you've got a shot. But um, I, I, like I said, I, I, I guess, what, Kevin Biggio plays less now because of that? Is that and that's the, uh, the upshot of it? I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, I think I think Toronto was one of the big losers because they're in a division where they're not going to win the division, but they can win. They can still get to the wild card. It's almost conceding the wild card. They got Merrifield. I think was was a sort of redundant move for them because their offense is still good. It's not going to get that much better. They did get two bullpen R's, which I'm not really you know thrilled with those guys. They got Anthony Bass and they got um, a Zach Pop from from Miami. I mean, they they, they made only incremental improvements everywhere I, I i don't understand why they did that and i and usually toronto makes a big splash usually toronto they last last year they traded for barrios this year they 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 got they signed gaussman so you'd think that they'd go all in but i i, I just didn't understand what they did yeah let's talk about uh, the waiver wire uh we'll go back to fantasy here and uh maybe a couple of people who you might be thinking about picking up in uh hey it's the second week in august we still have a couple months to play Steve, uh, who is a player or two that you would be interested in picking up in your league this week? Well, I, I'll tell you, going a little bit deeper, and this was a guy that I speculated on in, in El Tout Wars last week and uh, because I, I wanted to see if, you know, maybe stash him for later on in the season. Miguel Vargas of the Dodgers. Um, I, I, and surprise to me, they called him up. Yeah, and so he's in my lineup for this week. And lo and behold, had a double and a stolen base in his debut. He's been crushing it at AAA. And, you know, if you're in that Dodger lineup and say Justin Turner's not back for a while um, or they want to keep him down, rested, whatever, for the postseason, um, Miguel Vargas can slide in there and and be very productive. So he's one of those guys when when the dust settles, you're probably not going to be looking at him, but uh, he could provide some good value. Uve? I got a couple of guys. First guy I'm going to mention is a guy who's just going to get more playing time. I'm not thrilled with him. I, I probably am not picking him up myself, but that's Bryson Stott. Didi Gregorius was released, and Gene Segura is coming back. But Bryson Stott seemed like he's playing every day. That lineup did get a little bit deeper, so he may have more opportunities to drive in runs, to score more runs, so I do like that pickup. Um, another guy who's just recently recalled and is playing almost every day, and that's Paul DeYoung of the Cardinals. He hasn't yeah. started hitting yet, but in AAA this year, he's batted 249 with 17 homers. So he still has it in him, and the Cardinals look like they're playing him every day. So he's a guy you definitely should go after. We mentioned Felix Bautista and Rowan Wick as possibilities for closers. What about Peter Fairbanks? He just came back. He's he's pitching a couple of games for the Rays. He's only 15% on in CBS. Um, the Rays don't have a true closer, but he has closed before for them. So I think if you had a choice between Peter Fairbanks and Rowan Wick, I think I'd go with Peter Fairbanks. And a guy I mentioned, I think it was last week, Jansen Junk. He's going to get more playing opportunity. Michael Lorenzen had a set, had a setback. Syndergaard was traded. So he's a guy, he's a lottery ticket as a, as a starting pitcher. If he does well, great. If he doesn't do well, then you know what? You, you At least you tried. 
Um, Brandon Marsh, you mentioned before, eight homers, eight stolen bases this year. He's playing regularly now for the Phillies are in contention. Uh, that's a good pickup. He's not very widely owned. If you're in a shallow league, you could probably look at him. Um, Jose Iglesias of the Rockies. Um, his Look at his statistics. He actually mm-hmm. looks very very similar to Andrew Benintendi this year. He's got a three oh nine average, three homers, two stolen bases. So you're not getting very much, but you're getting that average. And he's much better at Colorado. And he's at home this week against St. Louis and Arizona. So it's a weak play thing if you're light in the middle infield. Um, this is a uh, streamer in the hitting department. And he's hitting third in their lineup, too. I, I saw in the, the lineup for tonight and was doing well. So if yeah. he's hitting that high. Definitely. I can't quit him. I, I, I really <laughs> like him this year. And I have him on a bunch of teams, and I deploy him as needed. Like, he's my rotating guy on the bench. When he's at home, I play him. And when he's not, I'm on the road, and it you know gives you the extra edge. Um, Carson Kelly, I mentioned him last time. He's only 33% owned, and that's partly because his year-to-date statistics stink. Look what he's been doing the past month. Every single week, he's doing better and better. This is a guy who should be universally owned in two catcher leagues, um, and in one catcher leagues, you may even consider him as well. So he's a guy that is definitely under-owned, I would say. Um, and, of course, you know, I mean, we talked about all the closer situations. Um, in terms of playing the waiver wire— you, if you have the bench space, you have to throw out a keep honest bid for some of these guys to pick up saves because, you know, we don't know exactly who's going to be the guy. We surmise we did our analysis early in the show, but it's it's a good investment, these closers, because if they get the job or if they get a half a job, they're, they're worth a lot. The saves are, are not very plentiful this year. Pitcher preview. Uh, Steve, who's a pitcher that you might be interested in picking up uh, this week? Um, if, if he's available, uh, you say Kikuchi is, uh, is a guy that I have my eye on uh, to start pitcher, uh, is at Baltimore, which we, we, we like to have pitchers in Baltimore now and uh, home against Cleveland, pretty good two-step for him. Uh, so I, I think he's a guy that, that I might have my eye on. Ruby. I got a couple of guys. One guy I mentioned a bunch already, and that's from this podcast, and that's Justin Steele. He's only given up six earned runs over his last five starts. He's one start this coming week against the Nationals. That's a good play, and he's possible to start the following week. He's only 23% on CBS, so that's a guy you should go after. Another guy is Graham Ashcroft. He's only 32% on in, in CBS. Um, he's playing against the Cubs, and his last 19 and two-thirds innings, he's got 17 strikeouts and a 3-2 ERA. A lot of these guys, what you should look for, and this is a, this is for general, for, for pitching, for pitcher prospects and for coming down the road, all these pitchers, that they're pitching on Wednesday, look for them and see if you want to pick them up because usually there will be a two-star pitcher the following week. You can get them for possibly two, if not three starts. Um, you mentioned Steele. I liked him. Next week, Washington. This week, next week, Washington, then Milwaukee or so. That's a good schedule. Uh, I'll mention two guys. Zach Ranke, uh, his ownership percentage has been going down, uh, but he's actually been pitching really well the last couple weeks, including a great outing against the Yankees, especially in points leagues where strikeouts are not as big a factor, where it's more the innings and uh, you know just getting batters out. Zach Ranke could be a good option. He's against the White Sox, and then to start the following week, Minnesota and Tampa Bay, I'd give him consideration. And we mentioned him earlier, Jose Quintana, what a schedule he has the rest of the year. Just in the coming week, he's at Colorado, and then he's against Colorado at home and at Arizona. 
that's probably two of the best starts you can probably pick up. Um, Jose Quintana, his ownership percentage should be rising. You can get him, well, I don't know if you can get him cheap anymore, but um, he's definitely worth a look if you're streaming pitchers in deeper leagues. Anybody else have any uh, hitter, pitcher, anything, jokes, anything else? <laughs> uh, I will say, um, Ruben mentioned Jansen Junk has a good matchup at Oakland next Wednesday. So I, I didn't look at his schedule for um, for the next week after that uh, and a possible two-step. But he did get uh, get a little bit lit up here on Thursday against um, against Oakland. So uh, maybe maybe that's not a great idea. But to just throw that out. Lottery ticket. I said a lottery ticket. There you go. I mean, his name is Junk. So what do you I think know. he throws? You know? I, I would hope he'd throw a knuckleball. Best name in 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 uh, as a pitcher this year though is uh, definitely Cutter Crawford who throws the cutter with a K definitely. Um, all right, Ruvain, <laughs> a lot of trades happen, so you must have an injury update trade edition. Go for it. Yeah, I'll start with Mackenzie Gore, who's part of the big uh, Juan Soto trade. He's on the IL with left il- elbow inflammation and soreness. There was no structural damage noted on the MRI. He's going to be taken very slowly. Right now, the Nats said they're going to take it very slow. There's no reason to rush him, which means that there's a possibility he may not even pitch the rest of the year if the Nats are being super careful. So that's a guy, if you have on your roster right now or on your IL, just keep an eye out because they may just rest him and, and protect him for next year. David Bednar, who was not traded this year, is on the aisle with low back inflammation. Maybe that's why he wasn't traded, because they saw something, and they were nervous, and other teams were nervous about picking him up. Um, his injury um, is, is, is low back. We don't know how bad it's going to be right now, and Will Crow could be the primary closer right now. Tarek Skubo was placed on the aisle with left arm fatigue. Another reason why his name was came up in trade uh, um, mentions also, and he wasn't traded also. So it may be because of this dead arm that he has, which is kind of interesting because he's only thrown 117 innings this year. He did throw 149 innings last year, so I'm not sure where this is coming from. We'll see. We're still waiting for other tests. John Gray, you mentioned about him. He's got an oblique issue. He's going to be out, they said, at least four to six weeks, which means he probably will not have time to be stretched out as a starter. So if you're counting on him as a starter for the rest of the year, don't. He could probably be dropped. Miguel Sano, if you're holding on to him, please let him go. He's put on a 60-day IL with knee inflammation for the same knee that he was on the IL before. He's done for the year. Mentioned Harrison Bader. He's still wearing a walking boot due to plantar fasciitis. He may be ready to come back sometime end of August, beginning of September. So that's something to watch out for. But Chris Bryant is on the IL for the exact same reason. So you don't know how much you're going to get out of Chris Bryant the rest of the year. Plus, players who tend to have plantar fasciitis tend to lose a lot of their power. It happened to Albert Pujols a couple years ago when he was younger. He had plantar fasciitis. He just didn't hit any more home runs. And one more guy I want to mention... Bryce Harper, he's targeting a September return. The pins were taken out of his repaired finger, and he is going to get ready and get going as soon as possible. But remember, he still has that elbow issue going on, so he was able to hit with it. I I suppose he'll still be able to do that. I don't know how his power is going to go because now he has the elbow and coming back from the hand, so we'll see what he's got left in the tank. You know, you mentioned Miguel Sano is out. I think his replacement is now batting cleanup every single day in the lineup in Minnesota. You know who that is? Is that uh, Luis Arias? Jose Miranda. Jose Miranda. Another guy to pick up. He we we liked him preseason. He's batting cleanup in on the Twins. Good sign for him. 
Interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, this was a fantastic show. Steve, this, so much information that we covered in span of 75 minutes here. Um, yes. Wanted to, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, did we miss anybody? I think we really did the gamut and, and gave some great fantasy advice, you know? I, I think we hit as, as much as humanly possible. So yeah. uh, this, was, this was the week to do it. Absolutely. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, it's always a great time to have you. And, um, I mean, you really do a great job breaking down everything. Uh, uh, before we let you go, please tell us uh, where we can see all your stuff and everything Steve Gardner. Sure. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Steve A. Gardner. And um, you can look for my columns in the pages of uh, USA Today Sports Weekly. Uh, if you're into the print thing and want to hang on to it right in front of your face. Uh, otherwise, you can just uh, find my work at uh, usatoday.com on the sports page. Ruvain, how about your stuff? You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates as they come. Next guy up as well. And I also have a weekly article on Rotoboard that comes out on Saturday to, pre- to prepare you for your fab pickups on Sunday. And I'm Ariel Cohen. You can find me on Twitter online at ATCNY. My stuff over at Fangraphs and over at Rotoballer. And, of course, you can listen to me every week right here on the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. Well, once again, this is a fantastic episode. Really, thank you truly, Steve Gardner, for coming on the show. It was a fantastic time. And from all of us here at the Beat the Shift podcast, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.